0: Hey everyone, my name is Jason West and this is PodClass. Boy, what a week it has been. Got a great interview for you today. My special guest is Chris Lund. He is an assistant superintendent in a major school district in Southern California. This is a particularly great interview because we go real deep into some really interesting and foundational elements of education and where it might take us in the future. Particularly, we get into the topic of grading and what it means to give a grade and what grades should really represent. We went real deep into this. Uh, We also talked a bit about his history, his background, how he got into education, how his first year in education began in LA, months before the LA riots began. And I gotta say, the person who sticks with education deep into the LA riots as their first year of being a teacher, uh, yeah, that person is meant to be in education and is definitely destined to uh, go places within that field. So anyway, like I was saying, we went pretty long with this conversation because we went so in-depth. So I'm going to truncate my intro here. Normally I do a uh, teacap of the week, which I will do, but I will keep it fairly short and then we'll get right into the interview. So, uh, yeah, let's start with teacap in the week with Mr. West. Okay. So the tea I'm drinking this week, uh, I'm, I'm really feeling this tea. Uh, this is yet again, art of tea. I'm telling you, they should just sponsor my show because I pretty much reference their tea every other week, but, I am drinking Art of Teas Maui tea blend. It is fruity, it's bright, it's sweet, it is green tea. It's mixed with pineapple, cornflowers, organic safflowers, some natural flavors. You take a sip of this tea. First of all, it is smooth. The caffeine content is pretty low so it doesn't really give you any jitters or do anything but give you that soothing sensation of having a really nice, Cup of warm tea. But the reason why I'm drinking it so much this week is because the pineapple flavors, the other natural flavors that come through in this tea, really take me back to Hawaii. And boy, do I want to be in Hawaii right now (laughs) so bad. It is cold, it is rainy, it is windy. And I'm, yes, I'm talking about Southern California, not just the rest of the Arctic tundra known as the Western Hemisphere. We are, uh, experiencing some unusually frigid weather out here and uh, Yeah, this tea is bringing me back to that island time the island breeze the island vibes which is also really nice because this week has been I Wouldn't say stressful, but it has been uh, it it is verged on stressful Uh, AP weeks are coming up Pretty rapidly. Uh, I am responsible for around 2,000 students taking AP exams, roughly 4,000 AP exams overall, and uh, on top of that, I'm still growing into my role as a a leader on a school campus, and I got to tell you, I've said it before and I will say it again, don't let anybody tell you or try to make you think that leadership is easy, because it is not. Getting into leadership is a lot like becoming a new parent, at least for me, in that having a child really pushes you into becoming really aware of your deficiencies as a person. It tests your patience. It tests your ability to communicate with your spouse. It just, it it puts a mirror as close to your face as possible and shines all the bright lights on it so you can see all the imperfections as to who you are. And that's kind of what becoming a leader is like, at least for me anyway. Uh, The issue that I'm having is that the imperfections that I'm seeing in the mirror are not the same imperfections that I see when, uh, you know, I, I go home and I'm like, oh, I'm a new dad and I'm seeing all of my weaknesses as a person through that lens. I'm seeing all my weaknesses as a person through the lens of being a new school leader. And I got to tell you, I'm learning a lot. I'm growing a lot. I'm having a lot of fun. But at the same time, this is... So far this year has been a journey of self-reflection and self-discovery that uh, is not always the most fun because you have to really come to terms with who you are and where your deficiencies are and not so much accept them, but be okay with the fact that you are not where you want to be yet and to work on those deficiencies, to not just take those deficiencies and project them onto other people and say, well, that's actually them. It's those teachers that are the crazy ones and that's why I can't work with them. Or it's those kids that are, don't know how to behave in my class and that's why I can't work with them. Or it's these parents or instead of putting it out on other people, being a school leader, I have come to understand is really about holding up the mirror to yourself and recognizing where it is you are coming up short and, you know, recognizing your your faults is not the most fun thing, and it's not the most ego-boosting thing. It's not something that you are going to uh, strut down the street after you've spent a day of dissecting, analyzing, and recognizing all of your flaws, but, uh, you know, it it's going to make me better as a person, and I haven't fully processed all of what this year has been in terms of me discovering my own leadership strengths and weaknesses, uh, but I will continue to think about them. And once I have a much more firm grasp on this, uh, I will definitely share that with you in a mini pod or maybe in a really prolonged tea capping the week. Speaking of prolonged teacapping, capping, I said I was going to cut this short and I kind of already broke that promise. So why don't we cut this short and get the show started? But first a quick fake commercial break. <laughs> Today's episode is brought to you by Bulletin Boards. Bulletin Boards, found in schools, post offices, and nowhere else.
1: TFA mentor was a woman by the name of Claudia Ross and when I was working in South Central Los Angeles. And Claudia basically was set, set, had a strong conviction that in teaching, you give the kids the respect that they deserve mm-hmm. and the parents the respect that they deserve. Sure. And part of that is dressing the part. Mm. So she's like, at least while you're with me, I expect yeah. a shirt and a tie every day. Whether you're teaching kindergarten or whether you're teaching high school.
0: See, that's so, such a funny perspective because i hear it and i go yeah i get it i totally get it and then on the other hand i sit there and i go there's (laughs) 21st century you know modeling in terms of you know they go out into the googles of the world and it's hoodies and jeans yeah well things have changed obviously well no but i mean i I feel a pull no but i'm saying i feel a pull for both because it's like especially i look super young and I, you know, shave today. So I cut like six years off my, right. how I look. And, and you know, if I don't, if I'm, when I don't go to school in a shirt and tie, which is almost never, I mean, I get, I get still stopped at school. You know, do you have a pass? I mean, good thing now I know most of the, CSO the, the CSOs, the yeah. CSOs, but I mean, even one that I knew, I was like, buddy, you know me and I have a wedding ring and all that. He's like, Oh yeah, yeah, sorry. But it was just <laughs> like, uh, yeah. So, I mean, I, I, I completely understand both sides of it and there's just, I feel like the argument over how to dress in education is about it's it's like the argument over anything in education. It's way more complicated than it seems on the surface. And uh, there doesn't seem to be a right answer, but people get very, passionate about no yeah. no no Ooh, this is the right
1: answer I will fight. say transitioning to administration mm-hmm. having a more formal dress made it easier mm. you know when people walk onto campus they automatically assume a certain level of yeah. stature or
0: position based on your dress so and I've thought you, about that I was thinking you know if I move into an admin position in a in an area that doesn't know me it's like oh I, I well, of course I have to wear the suit and tie and all that but there's another part of me that has this fantasy I'm like well but if they know me they know the kind of work I do and they know <laughs> yeah you can get away with that I think after you've been in a community for a while yeah um,
1: I guess the question is the more you do the work you realize that it's it's the community work and there's community, defined as the students and teachers within my site. Right. And then there's the community at large and my interaction with that community at yeah. large and the
0: persona that I want to portray to that community at large. Well, so. I mean, you also you also work for the district, so you go to board meetings. I can't imagine the feeling of somebody showing up in a hoodie to a board <laughs> meeting. Like, I totally get that. Um, and thus ends the segment on... Habiliments? Habiliments? Habiliments. It's a fancy word for clothing. And uh, that's a great transition, though, to welcome you into the show. There we go. Thanks for being here. You're welcome. Uh, as I I talked a bit about you in the intro, but as you sort of uh, revealed in the in that discussion, you work for the district. I do. How long have you worked for Long Beach Unified? I'm going on my 11th year. Okay. And were you a teacher in the district first?
1: No, How I did, came in as a principal.
0: Okay, where where were you before? Let's, Los let's Angeles, take it back. Unified. Let's go on the way so, back
1: machine. Back to 1991. So okay. I started 27 years ago teaching elementary school. Huh. Came out through Teach for America and being bilingual. They were placing all bilingual teachers into elementary
0: schools. You were not bilingual? Or no, I, I am bilingual. Okay, you are. So And you were teaching the lower level or upper level? I taught sixth grade. Sixth And grade. then fifth and sixth so back when sixth grade was always elementary, and not Somewhat in the window of middle school, right? Right. <laughs> uh, so you taught up in L.A. How long were you a teacher there? I taught seven years. So you went through some very interesting times. Yeah, my first in year LA. was Given the that year you were of the a teacher. Riots. Of America, um, yeah.
1: The civil unrest in Los Angeles was wow. my first year teaching. So I made for an interesting first year, no I doubt. Can I imagine. taught at Normandy Elementary, which was just north of Normandy,
0: and uh, where the riots. Wow. Broke out. So what was that like? You, you say, okay, I'm not really sure. Cause I imagine, and, and again, correct me if I'm wrong. I imagine a lot of people who go into TFA think to themselves, yeah, I might want to do teaching. I'm not really sure. It's a good thing to try, uh, give back and all that. And then they pluck you, put you through this whirlwind training where, you know, you kind of, you've seen it. It's like me watching, uh, clips of, uh, of poker and then being thrown into the big tournament in Vegas, and you're just thrown in the school year, and you have your own class for the first time, and okay, now the world is on fire around you. I would say, back then, they don't
1: have the supports that they have now Mm. with Teach for America, (laughs) so I think about that world (laughs) support support that you're talking about did not even exist back then. I had taught two lessons the entire summer One in a primary grade classroom, one in an upper grade classroom, and then I started teaching. And on top of it, uh, being placed in LA with all the year-round schools, my class had already started. Were you from LA
0: or no? I I grew up in Chicago. Oh, okay. So came out, and and that was you were like, I'm going to pick LA, sunny SoCal, beaches. My roommate in college was
1: actually already teaching. Okay, he was part of the '90 cohort. So okay, so you come out.
0: I had how, at least some context based yeah, on right? his experience. How long into the? Because I don't, I don't remember the exact history. How how long into the school year until things started to get kind of dodgy?
1: With the with the, with the riots. Oh, and, the riots happened in April, so I was actually mostly through the school oh, okay. year by that. Oh, right, point. right, right, yeah, that's right. Yeah. So just it's, think of the Sublime song. No, you know, it's funny gonna, <laughs> because
0: you know I have one. You know, I I too am from Chicago, and I have. Uh, a visceral memory of the riots as it related to me as a person because I was a kid when it happened. I was 10. Um, I grew up off poverty. I was living in Section 8 housing. And I was, you know, I'm just stating the facts here. I was the only white person in in my living situation. And all of my friends we'd meet on the basketball courts and we'd play so of course it couldn't be in during the winter because winter in Chicago we're not meeting on the basketball courts and I remember just waking up one day and going to the basketball courts thinking like it's just another day and all of my friends were like you got to go home you got to go home we're like nope we're done and that was sort of my introduction into uh understanding divisions among race and inequities and things like that so uh, when you say it was in April, it's like, oh, right, of course, because it was that was around the time when we started to go back yep. outside to play basketball and all that. So you had gotten through most of the school year. Where was the school closed for? Yeah, the riots broke out on a Wednesday
1: okay. and we were closed on Thursday and Friday. Mm. I went to a first communion, though, on Saturday up in South Central that that year because life continues. Yeah. So you know especially at the church <laughs> so one of my fifth graders that then I was teaching a 5 6 bilingual class uh was getting his having his first communion so uh-huh. we celebrated and had a party with the family the jumper didn't show up because they couldn't get that delivered Right. But it was uh, some of a surreal experience back home like
0: what are you doing do not but you go yeah you go and you
1: know there's obviously the the guards the national guards were out at every corner um, Man. kind of patrolling the streets. The streets were empty. The freeway was empty. It was the easiest drive to work that I've had in a long <laughs> time. Um, so, you yeah, know, I think it was a testament to, you know, you see the, the challenge that the families faced in that neighborhood. Um, but that life still goes on despite yeah. the unrest. Um, celebrations still go on despite right. the chaos surrounding them. And you try to create a sense of normalcy in whatever situation you're
0: in for your children and your family. It's also the move of a young person to be like, you know what, I'm going to go anyway. Probably, I would say that was probably the case. I mean, I I think about, yeah, I think about my first year of teaching and I was in uh, the West Philadelphia, you know, Fresh Prince of Bel Air school uh, or the Fresh Prince of Bel Air style area. And I would stay late and I say, Oh, I'm going to go to the corner store. No big deal. Get something, you know, as a snack. And in my mind, I'm just, you know, just young and dumb. Like, oh, whatever. I'm a teacher. Right. You know. (laughs) And now I think about it. It's like, no, that is not (laughs) something that when you're a parent, you're like, I'm just going to go home and eat dinner. Yeah. I mean, I I will say
1: that my entire education has been spent in high need areas. So I taught in South Central. I taught in East L.A. I did my student teaching in Watts. Okay. Um. So I've certainly known tough neighborhoods and yeah. I've always had that similar sort of approach of spending time there on weekends, staying late and sure. attending family functions in the evening and such. And, you know, I think it's it's a testament to one, even in those neighborhoods, life goes on. Sure. You know, and you,
0: you have a certain sense of awareness. I was going to say, did you feel the, it percolating as it was developing over the course of the school year?
1: no I was because I would obviously say. it was
0: one singular event that sort of opened the lid but you know I, I had a guest on a couple of weeks ago who told me uh, he lived in the neighborhoods uh, during the riots and uh, he said you know I said were you freaked out because you were a kid and he goes no we weren't afraid and like we weren't the ones in any danger but right. it was just more surprising he said that uh, that people were surprised by it it's like all of the anger and frustration that we had all felt was just now being shown in public, but it wasn't anything new or crazy. So I didn't know how much you had seen or felt as it was. I mean, there was certainly, I think a traumatic experience
1: for many of the children. Um, there was, they may not have felt that personally in terms of maybe threats against them, but I think the, the fires obviously Mm -hmm. created a certain sense of fear. Uh, There was certainly a sense of loss and distraught Mm. sort of uh, feelings after such an event where they've, you know, their neighborhood has been, you know, decimated in many ways. So
0: it was a complex experience. And with being in part of a TFA, how many other TFA people were at your school site? I was the only one.
1: Okay. They weren't doing placements like they do now where they try to keep people grouped together for that collaboration so they don't they learned a lot over the years so i felt woefully underprepared to teach (laughs) i feel bad for the children that were in my initial couple years of teaching i i cared a lot for the kids i spent a lot of time with them on weekends you know with their families you know we took trips to the beach and to the movies and things like that. Mm-hmm. So I certainly went above and beyond yeah. from a, a personal sort of experience,
0: but it, from a teaching standpoint, I didn't know what I was doing. But you know, you know it doesn't are, matter how many, how much experience you had going in your first year. Yeah, it's, it's just, never good, but you, I will say just there's any first year teacher listening, just write an apology note and just, Get, hold on to it. And then you just give it to all your students at yeah. the end of the but year. But I will say really teachers that have been through a
1: program sure. that at least studied something in yeah, that regard. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my major was obviously not education. Mm-hmm. What um, was your major? International studies and Spanish uh, literature. So, you know, that's not <laughs> helping you teach. So I will say that at least people that have been through a program that have done formal student teaching, they certainly benefit from those experiences, mm-hmm. uh, especially if it was an in-depth sort of teaching experience. Yeah. So when you're learning on the job, yeah, you know, there's a certain level of unfairness when it comes to the level of service and, and teaching yeah.
0: you're able to provide to the children. So at what point in your teaching career you get through your first year of teaching uh, <laughs> not only do you get through your first year of teaching but it's I always compare your first year of teaching to you know being told oh I heard, I heard you know how to swim here there's the ocean let's see what you got but you were thrown in the ocean during you know just a hellacious storm and you made it through you lived and you came back, at what point did the switch flip where you thought, oh, I'm going to stay doing this, this is what I'm supposed to do? That's a good question. I, After
1: teaching three years, I went to the Peace Corps so that was a, a transition point, and I thought that Man, might be, just really giving. you good. Know, I'm going to teach, and then I'm going to go into the Peace Corps, and then we'll see where life takes me. Is um, like your nature just to give and give?
0: You got <laughs> well, like it's interesting. Like my commitment use, to the Peace Corps was short-lived. <laughs> so before you go, uh, I was saying, like, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, praising my work around. Help me you know, move next time. Yeah. Right. <laughs>
1: um, you know, being in a relationship at the time, my wife was a, a teacher. We had met through the district intern program in Los Angeles, and we had uh, obviously grown serious in our relationship. And if you've been known anyone that has applied to the Peace Corps, it's a long, sort of tedious process. It typically sure. takes a year. Well, so I not, mean, they
0: send you. <laughs> well, they send place. you, for, you know, that's the whole, <laughs> yeah.
1: you know, post once you get placed somewhere. That's the two to two and a half years yeah. of experience. So but I mean, getting into the Peace Corps saying, yeah. just takes forever. And, you know, you don't realize that at the time how serious the relationship's going to become. So, sure. uh, yeah my girlfriend at the time now my wife uh you know endured this sort of transition and supported me with it this is a long distance thing well yeah and then when i got there i realized what am i doing yeah where'd Um, you end up going i was in turkmenistan wow that was the other (laughs) irony is that (laughs) i you know was fluent in spanish i had studied quite a bit of french uh so i was pretty fluent in french as well and I would studied some Russian, so at least that supported the Turkmen. <laughs> You're like I can also sort tell of placement
0: them anything about Spanish literature.
1: <laughs> yeah, so I thought it was ironic that the Peace Corps could care less about that. The yeah. government could care. We're going to train you in a language anyway, so we don't care what you already speak, even though it might make your life easier wow. <laughs> to actually go to a country sure. where you speak the language already. But I'm
0: sure being by almost trilingual at that point, it's like what's another la- like your brain is now able to just sort of absorb new languages. Yeah, it, it certainly clip. makes it
1: easier, but it's it's never easy. Yeah. You're, you're dropped into a new culture, and you know the country was Russian speaking in the cities, but sure. I had a rural placement where no one speaks Russian. It's all Turkmen, so you're learning Turkmen.
0: You also had an amazing you know rain cloud following <laughs> you for a few years. Like I'm going to go to sunny California, right? I'm going to go to Turkmenistan, <laughs> just a few hundred miles north of Afghanistan. Yeah. Oh, now everything around. Maybe I shouldn't hang out with you. Maybe we should end this podcast <laughs> Those were right wonderful now. experiences. This is, this is a great it,
1: podcast. Have a good night. Right. Yeah. it taught me how much I loved my wife. So I sure. came back early and uh, proposed to her. And wow. The rest is history. So. so then you got back into teaching. Yes. It was kind back of meant to elementary. be that the school that I had left in East L.A. at the time, um, when I came back from the Peace Corps early, they had added a class and were, was looking for a teacher. So intro it was literally a seamless transition back into the classroom, uh, teaching first grade. Um, so not versus intro to upper
0: Turkmenistan.
1: No. <laughs> so I, I, I mean, not to criticize the the Peace Corps and their work that they do. Um, it was early in the formation of the country. Turkmenistan was a brand sure. new country. They had a, literally so existed as a country for the intro two years. To uh, and English was not really. I mean, they had adopted it as a formal language, but it was really their third language. Yeah. Uh, Turkmen being their first, they had just created a written language. Wow. So they didn't have any formal written language previously. So really everyone was learning the written language of Turkmen at the same time. They were also learning Russian.
0: I, I have a question about that language. So how much of the language that they that they had developed was almost rooted in English? And I ask that because I know that when Israel was founded, And they said, we're going to, the national language is going to be Hebrew. Hebrew was a dead language at that point. And so, so many words didn't evolve the way our society evolved. So, you know, there's a a really sizable portion of their words that's just like a Hebrew spin on an English word.
1: Yeah, I'd probably say less reliant on the English, more reliant on the The Russian. Russian and the totally. Cyrillic alphabet. So they built it off of the Cyrillic alphabet mm-hmm. and as if 36 letters weren't enough they right. added six more. So there were actually 42 <laughs> le- letters in the Turkmen
0: language. Right. Because they had certain sounds that you But I bet they're more expressive because, <laughs> because of, of, of it. that. Right. Yeah. The richness of the language. Yeah, exactly. Of course. They have 57 words for snow. No, Just that's the opposite Inuits. probably for the, the sun and the yeah, sand. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> because it is 90% <laughs> desert. Exactly. So. Um, So you came out here, you got another elementary school job. You taught there. At what point did you then say, again, I'm not only going to stay in education, but I want to move.
1: I think I made the commitment to stay in education when I pursued my master's in administration. When I saw that as, here is my way to impact a larger system. I was frustrated by the fact of, in a classroom, especially in an elementary classroom mm-hmm. with 30 students, you can only affect so much change. We had gone through a fair amount of work at the school that I was at to write a charter proposal, actually. Mm-hmm. And this was in the early onset of the charter school law. Right. I mean,
0: I had a whole episode about how the the origins of the charter. Yeah, movement 1993. Came from a public school, yeah.
1: Uh, so this was in 94, 95. So we had written a charter proposal at the school to go through that transition process of taking a public school and turning it into a charter school um, and deciding whether we wanted it to be a dependent charter, which were fairly popular back then, Mm -hmm. or an independent charter. And we ended up not doing so as a staff, but it was very enlightening just to kind of envision new possibilities. So that was the exciting thing is that back then, charter schools really were different schools. They weren't yeah. bound by even state standards at the time. Mm-hmm. They weren't, well, back then it wasn't even state standards. Yeah. Well, It was the content <laughs> standards. They weren't bound by standards. They weren't bound by contracts. They really could be whatever they wanted yeah. to be. A so wild, wild west. Yeah, and you weren't bound by accountability even. So they weren't even tied to hmm. administering the same assessments. So it really allowed a school staff in this case to really kind of envision a different future for a school. Uh, which was exciting, um, even though it did not happen. It just it kind of gave me the the bug, if you will, to yeah. get excited about what schools could be and, and how to really your lead a school. that was yeah, during, that was during master's. my master's. So
0: what was the impetus for going and pursuing a master's? I think it was, sure as, you're as you're I mentioned, stay. that kind of drive to impact a larger mm. system.
1: I had had some nice principals, don't get me wrong, sure. um, who I tried hard and I think did what they thought was right. right. But I also saw the impact that an administrator had on a school site uh, to really impact change. And from a negative standpoint, that if you work with a an ineffective administrator, the power that that has yeah. to really turn a school or cause a school to go into a downward spiral. For sure. Uh, but on the reverse side, what a powerful um, administrator, effective administrator can do to a school to really uh bring a staff together around uh collective work around moving a school forward around building relationships with parents that was always important to me
0: so you pursue your master's and you that's when you sort of you're in it and you go you know what i was into it but now i know this is like what i got to do this is what i am meant to do and you recognize the power of admin so you say i'm going to try to be an admin yep so then you become an admin what's that first year like
1: I became an assistant principal at a school that uh, the staff did not like their principal, and that was a very awkward place to be in, sure. um, to support the principal and her work w- in a school where there was some relationships that had been fraught. And <laughs> they- uh, They put they, it lightly. Yes, they, uh, they, it was tough. It was tough to be in. It was, you know, you were somewhat associated just through the relationship of your admin and kind of cluster together mm-hmm. to kind of prove that, you know, despite what has happened, you know, I can still support teachers and the work that they do and support families and the work that they do. But I will say it was a, a pretty toxic environment. Mm-hmm. So one that I did not choose to stay in very long. Say, how long were you an AP? I was an AP at that school for a little bit over a year and then another uh, school AP position opened up in the district back in East LA. So I jumped at that opportunity. And then the principal, who I'd respected, uh, who I'd known in my previous work as a coordinator, he moved on to another school. And it was at a unique point in Los Angeles where you could choose your own administrator. Wow. So they gave school sites through this what they call the learn process yeah to allow a school site to say if you have a candidate that you want for your principal mm-hmm. you can support them and sure. your staff needs to vote on it your parents need to vote on it and you're classified your certificated and your classified yeah. staff need to support this so i went through that whole process whereby the entire parent community had to endorse me as the principal the whole staff had to endorse me as the principal and then transitioned At the age of 30 into the principalship. I mean,
0: that sounds amazing. And it sounds, in an odd way, it sounds like that's kind of how it should be. But at the same time, I could also see the other side of it just becoming a popularity contest. But when you're talking about all stakeholders involved, I think that kind of doesn't really happen. Because parents are going to do what's best for their kids. Teachers are going to do what's best for them and... Yeah, Kids. and
1: it ha- has to be in a school that where that you already have some kind of relationship right. as well. So having been at that school for about nine months as the assistant principal, I'd worked with those teachers before through some of the other teacher leadership opportunities that I had providing professional development. So they knew me from another context when I stepped right. in. So that helped too of just kind of taking embracing that instructional leadership role. It was easy with teachers that already kind of viewed me yeah. in that capacity as a teacher supporting teachers through professional development and
0: leadership. Why Why did they go away from that system?
1: I imagine it was probably the district trying to rein back in a little bit, the control bit around control, who they yeah. have moving into the, the principal role. Yeah. Um, but it was an exciting time. So when you have that kind of endorsement of your staff, it's amazing what you can do to embrace new initiatives and embrace change. Yeah. So we did some really
0: creative work
1: in those early years. And around I imagine it's a
0: hard thing. It's, I imagine getting voted in like that is exponentially more challenging the larger your school site is. You know what I mean? Yeah, in terms it's of like, developing those relationships. Well, you have you have 18 people on your staff. You can have yeah, 16 50, of them vote 50 for or you. or so teachers. Yeah, you can have 14, 15, 16 of them vote for you. But if you have almost 200 right. staff, Then it becomes like, well, now we just aren't going to have a principal because no one's (laughs) going to agree. No one's ever going to agree to that extent. Right. Yeah. Um, So Okay. So how long were you a principal before you sort of decided, you know what, I need to keep climbing? Um, I was a
1: principal for 13 years, eight years in one site in Los Angeles, Mm -hmm. and then five years here in Long Beach. So I transferred in as a principal. Yeah. And uh, was very happy. Being a principal here in Long Beach at Roosevelt for five years and then um, encouraged by district leadership to step That's into how it something happens, else. how man. So I was very happy to stay at my school site. There was some other work that I was more willing to do. I felt that as a principal, I think the longer you're at a school site, um, it tests your leadership. Mm. More than you know the two three years in and jumping into another site so eight years was a good amount of yeah. time five years i'd say is the minimum of the amount of time at, sure. at, as a principal in a school site but i was more than willing to stay a sixth seventh year yeah especially at roosevelt where we were transitioning from our temporary location mm. at the mary butler site before going back into the brand new site that i would helped do a lot of the design work so that was pretty exciting (laughs) it'd be
0: great to actually enjoy the 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 brand new school yeah exactly exactly Exactly. with air conditioning and all that uh i have not i've yet to meet somebody who is higher in the chain whether it's admin or district who didn't get there because uh someone just sort of suggested to them it's like <laughs> it's like in order to climb the ranks of education, you almost have to be like inception. <laughs> like someone has to get in your brain and go, this would be a good idea. And then you go to sleep and you go, Hey, that would be, be a good, good idea. idea. This right. <laughs> is something I never thought of, but maybe it is my own thought. Yeah. Uh, it's just kind of funny that in a field where all we do is encourage someone to bring out the best within that typically people don't, come into education with a vision of climbing the ladder and then actually do it uh it's normally i'm just here to do my job and then someone goes actually i think you might want to go to and you go, hey maybe i should yeah
1: and i will say that long beach has done some pretty innovative work around systems of support with the leadership pipeline and supporting teachers that want to go into administration through the future administrators program future leaders program Mm -hmm. you know so it's all these structures that are in place to kind of help people make those transitions. And then once you're in the position to support people to be successful in those positions, um, I think that's been pretty exciting to see that develop over the last five years. Obviously, in L.A., we did not have anything like that. There were (laughs) tests we had to take to go into administration. So you can pass a test. Hey, now you can be a vice principal. You can pass another test. Now you can be a principal. I mean,
0: that's the other side of education is that you can be you can have no experience in education. And it's your first day on the job, first time having your, a class of your own, but you already have a master's right. in education because you are a master of education. <laughs> My first day, I'm a master. Right. So, yeah. Well, and
1: it's one of the few jobs I tell new teachers this, that you have the same responsibility your first day of teaching that you have on your last. Mm. And very few professions are like that. I like that that. You can yeah. honestly say That's that true. all that encompasses teaching and the complexities of teaching, yeah. you have the
0: first day and the last. Yeah, you don't really think about it because you think about by the time you're done the standards and the bar is set so much higher but it's still at the end of the day it's pretty cut and dry these are the expectations that you have and the responsibilities um that's really good i like that what is your position
1: now my formal title is a assistant superintendent of research and
0: school improvement and how did that position Evolved to, be for you. <laughs> to be
1: so everyone's like oh yeah you're the data guy yeah uh, exactly. you must have loved I mean, r- you've lived in research forever <laughs> you're suddenly in this this realm um that was never my intent uh, yeah. oh I, did
0: you teach math yeah. i didn't
1: even know like people that had been in this role previously so <laughs> i i didn't even understand what the job even was yeah. so when i was called by my deputy superintendent and my superintendent to take on yeah hey, you're going to be director of research back then i'm like well, I'm going to be director of what? <laughs> <laughs> Is that like in some closet somewhere, like yeah. tucked in, sort of like you know doing research so projects? What am I doing? Point people and say,
0: research this. <laughs> you
1: research that. So I was uh, very naive around our own system of support and what the research office even mm-hmm. did. To be honest with you, when I stepped into the role, it was a dual role of director of instruction as well as director of research. So I was supervising principals at the time. Wow. Uh, for the first three years, so I supervised.
0: 14 principals one year. Um, That's the other, by the way, the other thing in education that I've that I've learned in my time is that you, you never make a clean promotion. It's, oh, we're going to give you a promotion, but it's also going to incorporate most of the duties you had before. <laughs> <laughs> and then once we know that you can do this, then maybe you can let go of some of the older responsibilities.
1: Right. Well, I'll be honest with you that the director of re- instructional side of the house, that Excited me more because sure. it was what it's what I knew. I yeah. knew site leadership, and I could easily mentor and support other principals in that work because that was my life. Whereas that's, the research right. side of it was like that seemed the foreign side. Well, that's of what brought this us
0: education is to yeah. help others get better, right? So that, so that actually that made my
1: transition easier right. because it's what I knew.
0: Spoonful <laughs> of um, sugar and all yeah, that,
1: exactly. So supervising elementary K eight principals, and then I supervised actually high school principals. So, um,
0: at what point? Then I feel like I keep asking this question because I'm just fascinated by it. At what point then did you sort of wake up one day and go, I'm kind of really into this?
1: So I've looked at, obviously, I went into it as a learner, um, saying, What is this work that we're doing within research? (laughs) And the research is somewhat of a misnomer. misnomer. The school improvement aspect piece, I think I embrace because it's what, once again, it's what I know. Mm -hmm. The research side of it, we don't do a lot of research. We work with research partners, and we obviously support research proposals that people have, but Mm -hmm. it's mostly as a result of supporting our principals and our teachers that are going through master's and doctoral programs, Mm -hmm. and you want to do your thesis in the district, you want to do your dissertation in the district, we're here to support you with that work. And because of our unique partnership with Cal State Long Beach, we support that. So it kind of gives internal staff free reign to do their research within our system.
0: Now, I was told that if you're doing you know a, a thesis uh you're doing a research study that you the districts typically don't like you to research your own like if you're if you're in the district they don't want you to research your depends own. on your they, chair rather a, a, an outside person yeah
1: so they might encourage you to actually you can stay in our large district mm-hmm. and just do the work at another school might be more appropriate than your own school sure sure um but like I said, that probably studying represents- the, about, Studying the
0: efficacy of my boss. Right.
1: <laughs> Research is probably only about 5% or less of my job, wow. despite the title. Sure. So uh, really, the majority of the work is around other systems of support. So really, learning and understanding all the data systems that we operate, where I think we're incredibly fortunate in Long Beach to have, to run and manage our own data system. Hmm. Most districts contract that out. Most districts don't even have a research department to begin with. Oftentimes, if they have a data system, it lives with IT. Is
0: that because they're not big enough? or?
1: Yeah, typically larger districts are the ones that have a research mm-hmm. office. Um, it also is very common to manage the work through an IT department. So in many school districts, the SIS system lives with IT. And as a matter of fact, 10,
0: 15 years ago, that was the case in Long Beach. And that's kind of what gets us all into trouble in terms of depending on computer people to analyze education. So if that's how we ended up, you know, I mean, you know the history as well as anyone. That's how we ended up with the zero to 100 scale system. Exactly. It's because we allowed computer people to determine right. what the grading scale was right. for. Uh, so I
1: think that's, uh, we're fortunate to have a large, large enough system that we actually have a research department that manages its own data system that actually builds out its own data platform. Um, that's pretty unique instead of having to contract that out. So when you contract it out, it kind of gets built for the masses and it's not really customized to Long Beach. So to have our own internal system. And we don't know it as well, right? Exactly. And if if there's some new report that we need, we have staff that can build that report. If there's some new uh, measure that you want added into the data system, if there's some error you're finding in the data, Mm -hmm. it's easy to fix. It's never. I won't say it's easy. It's never easy Mm -hmm. when it's... 75,000 students yeah. and it's a complex data system across multiple years it's never easy so that's been part of my learning curve of really sure. understanding data warehousing understanding uh SQL databases understanding programming so we have four programmers in our office that build sure. this out um and then to manage obviously testing and support and training and everything else that goes with it
0: yeah so. i would say plus you know working for the district offices and going to board meetings and having yeah. all these other things that are sort of floating above your head at any yeah. given moment so you know not to get all personal but is is do you, is this kind of it where you mm-hmm. want to be or are you thinking you know mm-hmm. world domination <laughs> <laughs> maybe not world
1: domination no uh so that would be my superhero sort of yeah, alter yeah, persona yeah. perhaps but no uh, i'm always open to new ideas and new possibilities like i said i've enjoyed being a learner in this role mm-hmm. and what i've tried to do is take a different sort of perspective having not grown up in the research world having grown up on the leadership side of the house of being a site principal and really trying to build out tools and resources that I hope, are benefits to school sites. So really kind of taking that different perspective and seeing where are those opportunities to help the system improve and create new tools and new ways of
0: looking at it to do so. How would you say that your, and it could be at any given time in your timeline of this career, what have you learned about education that you just you wish you could explain to both teachers and people who are not in education to sort of make everything a little bit clearer for everyone because I feel like education is one of those things where we've all been through it you know we've all been students and whether or not we choose to make that our profession we have experience within it and yet we understand it about as well as space travel, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Uh, you know, so you ask somebody who's not in education and most of what they can spit back at you is what they hear are these sound bites, you know, from Washington or, uh, what they experienced as a kid where this teacher was mean or super nice or whatever. What is something you would love to be able to, now that you've had all this breadth of experience? It's a broad question. It's a very broad question. So on a simple level, I guess I would
1: say teaching is complex, that teaching is a profession. And just because you went, you sat in a classroom doesn't mean you understand teaching. So I think of the complex pedagogy behind effective instructional practice mm-hmm. and what that really means. And there is an there's certainly an art to teaching, but there's also a science to teaching. Sure. So there's this whole research methodology around what effective instruction looks like. And I think we as educators need to help promote that professional aspect of the work that we do so that everyone doesn't just think that they can step into the classroom and teach. Uh, I think we've done that to ourselves. And I think it's the mantra yeah. of if you can't succeed elsewhere, then teach, sort yeah. of, you know. Whereas I think effective teachers, Embrace effective pedagogy and really understand it at a professional level to say that here's what I do in my classroom. That really makes learning meaningful and effective for students Mm -hmm. the myth of I'm going to call it the myth of differentiation. So and I say it's a myth in the sense of it is Easy to speak about really complex to do in the classroom. Mm -hmm. You know, how do you truly differentiate for students? From a systemic standpoint, from a curricular standpoint, from an instructional standpoint, from an assessment standpoint, the whole nature really of formative deep. assessment and how do you formatively provide feedback to sure. different students that are at different places in their learning and their growth and their progress um, is shows the complexity of what teaching represents as we've moved towards a standards-based system, really understanding standards progression not just within my grade level that I teach or within my subject that I teach but across the system Mm -hmm. Uh, and I think when you can take that broader perspective of here's how I see content developing and growing and understanding evolving and changing as students move up through a system I think shows a level of expertise that shows the complexity of our work Uh, and that I think we as educators need to speak more about that so that people see our work as complex. So I think that'd be one thing that I would hope that people would see differently about the work that we do. The second is that systems are complex. So a school system is a complex system. A school district is a complex system. And the challenge is how do we create coherence and focus in the work that we do, either within a school site or across a system? How do you create that level of collaboration and systemness within a school site so that teachers don't feel isolated in classrooms. That traditional sort of egg crate structure, if that visual helps you, no, that's of great. you
0: know classrooms being and, independent and way, of each other. That is one of the best metaphors for how a school is because you go to the grocery store, you open the egg crate before you buy the eggs, there's always, <laughs> uh, there's at least one cracked egg. A couple other ones have the goo on it. And you're like, oh, I don't know about this one. And then you search another one. And part of you wants to go, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to... Uh, pick and choose the eggs and just make create uh, an egg crate of perfect (laughs) eggs but what you're doing then is that you're leaving the a crate of garbage eggs for someone else to deal with (laughs) i mean it really is the perfect uh metaphor for education and i'm going to steal it erase this whole part of the podcast and claim it as my there we go there
1: we go so i think our challenge as a system is how do we break down that egg crate structure so that teachers don't feel isolated in classrooms that we create collaborative opportunities. Sure. We build on that professionalism where teachers are in each other's classrooms, seeing each other teach to build on that pedagogy. Right. I think a big problem that we have in American education is that our contracts don't value planning in general in America. So you think about our teacher contract and how much time is actually built in for planning mm-hmm. from a contract standpoint and a and you compare that to other countries and you think of like the Japanese lesson study model and how much time they actually spend with children versus the time that we spend with children. We in America spend more time with children in our classrooms than any other country in the world. Yeah. Versus spending time building our professional capacity through peer observation and peer collaboration, um, peer learning, peer teaching, where we're gonna go and we're gonna teach this lesson together and learn yeah. from each other through the strategies that we implement so that's another big shift that i would like us people to see is that when your teacher's out of the classroom those are opportunities for them to learn from each other and ideally that would be built into our structure as an education system so just like we expect uh, doctors to go on rounds together to learn from each other hopefully that would be something we do as educators built into our system
0: yeah no i mean very well said it it was a broad question because you've had a very broad experience and uh, I think you hit on some really important points especially you know the nature that we kind of do this to ourselves in education you know we've allowed for this profession to come across as more touchy-feely than you know more art than science like you know I don't know when it's ready but I can just I just know right inside when it's you know like that kind of like on um, that kind of cook where I don't follow a recipe I just sort of know when it's ready and There are some people who can do that, but that's not how it should be done. Uh, You know, and we've kind of eliminated the aspect of, you know, no, there is a real thought process to this and a real science to it.
1: Well, you develop a certain level of automaticity in the work that you do that makes sense that you're going to reach the point where you can make that without having to do so. but. It's understanding that there are still our effective steps, pedagogies, recipes around the along the way that make effective teaching. And it's not to downplay the relationship side, because I think you've alluded in your other podcast to teachers that build those strong relationships. And I think that's essential too. the teachers that we remember as students that made a difference in our lives weren't just great teachers. They recognized us as individuals Mm -hmm. and they built that relationship. And I allude, you know, I think back on my own experience as a child and those teachers that were also coaches and mentors that made a difference beyond the teaching of their content. Uh, So it's that complex relationship of I understand what I'm doing from an instructional standpoint, from a pedagogical standpoint. But I also see the students, you know, and recognize them and the naming games that you've talked about before of getting to know your students and and. It exists not just with the students, but I think with parents and community as well. So, how do we build those relationships, not just one on one with kids, but with their families?
0: Um, And again, it comes back to the conversation we had at the beginning the dichotomy between, uh, you know, business and emotions, you know, suit and tie and (laughs) zip up hoodie. Uh, And I think that's a great place to leave it, especially because I'm just thrilled that I know I now actually know someone who's listening to my podcast <laughs> and so we're we're I'm set we, we could be done this is great Here we go thanks are you ready to uh are you ready to play some games bring it on all right let's do it all right so our first game is called crunching the numbers you spend much of your day looking at data and statistics and attaching it attaching meaning to these numbers so the way this game is going to work is I'm going to read a number a statistical number and then I'm going to give you three options as to what that number that represents. yeah what that number represents exactly uh, and the goal is to get them all right are you right. ready I'm ready all right we're gonna start the timer and number one go 500 a year is it a The average amount of times students will ask their teachers to use the bathroom within the first five minutes of class. Is it B, the average dollar amount teachers spend from their own savings on school supplies? Or is it C, the average amount of times Americans hear a new story about Donald Trump and immediately think, Oh, this will surely be the end of his presidency. As much as I'm hopeful for the C, (laughs) I'm guessing
1: it's probably the B. Correct.
0: (laughs) Correct. Uh, Yes, 91% of teachers collectively spend 1.5 billion dollars of their own money on school supplies every year. Crazy. Uh, Number two, over 52%. Is it A, the percent of teachers' daily food intake that is made up of caffeinated beverages? Is it B, the percent of English teachers who couldn't tell you what the hell a dangling participle is? Or is it C, the percentage of working teachers with less than 10 years' experience?
1: a or b could be possibilities i'm guessing it's c it it is C, (laughs) correct
0: i believe the national average for teachers is somewhere around being a third grader uh i could be wrong on that one though number three the the statistic is nine billion is it a roughly how many of those spiral notebook pieces teachers will find on their classroom floor at any given school day is it b how much money president trump is hoping to cut from the education department this year Or is it C, the number of steps it takes for a teacher to actually get their credential cleared?
1: (laughs) Well, I think as we've transitioned to computers, it's probably less A. uh, (laughs) And uh, it is difficult to get your credential, but probably not that difficult. Let's go with B.
0: You are correct, yes. I think you're (laughs) starting to figure out this game. Uh, Number four, the statistic is uh, over 400. Is it A? How many times a student will ask to do something immediately after a teacher finished explaining how to do that thing? Is it B, how many meetings, PDs, and conferences a teacher is asked to attend each school year? Or is it C, the average number of overtime hours a teacher works every school year? I'm going to go with C. That is correct. I, I, I personally stopped counting at like 200. Uh, and last one, 88. Is it... A, the percentage of a single can of Axe body spray that a teenage boy will spray on himself minutes before entering your classroom? Is it B, the average number of tabs a teacher has open on their computer at any given day? (laughs) Or is it C, the percentage of people who took part in a survey that said they had at least one teacher who made a, quote, significant positive impact on their lives? It is definitely C. Ah, uh, see look at that. We ended on a positive note. <laughs> yes, see, we teaching's did. great. Yep. <laughs> and you won the game. Congratulations. I did. 5 out of 5. Good job. Bring on. <laughs> that, next. That, next that, game. That <laughs> that is data analysis. Good job. Okay, our next game is WTF are the kids saying these days? So the way this game is going to work is I'm going to tell you a some sort of and this is where I sound a thousand years old. Some sort of newfangled expression that the kids are using these days. I'm gonna tell you the word and the definition, and then because I don't wanna be the only one that feels a thousand years old, <laughs> I'm gonna ask you to try to use it in an adult sentence. The goal is to make my guest feel ancient but also to just ruin slang for kids. That's, really well, that's, the, that's yeah. what it'll do. Because The minute exactly. we embrace
1: it, it's gone.
0: <laughs> oh, I want to start using that. Okay, right. it's, it's dead. dead. Kind it's like dead. When OMG got popular with adults <laughs> and
1: kids are like, definitely don't put that in your text. Uh, yeah,
0: LOL is, is <laughs> no longer a thing. Right. Uh, okay. So the word is finesse. 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 And the definition of this expression is getting something taken from you in a slick way. Getting something
1: taken from you in a slick way. Yeah, so so you lost your cell phone. That's
0: finesse. Well, or no, but if somebody some, if somebody someone, um sort of stole your girlfriend, right? right. Oh, they finesse my girlfriend. So it's used as a, a verb. Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I should re- next time I play this game, <laughs> I should to really give just the, pull out like uh, the what's Oxford origin? English, yeah, uh, exactly. it's the country
1: of origin here uh, <laughs> on this word.
0: Uh, okay. So. I I love that you are shifting in your seat more for this than any other question that I've (laughs) asked you. I'm like, Oh God, how do I not sound? Well, it's my competitive spirit. (laughs) So you've
1: tapped into my competitive spirit. So let's see. Uh, (sighs) (laughs) That was a sigh of resignation. I don't know, man. (laughs) Well, I I, I think about, uh, I was once my son's uh, orientation recently and they talked about the number of uh, cell phones that have, uh, mysteriously disappeared Wow. Uh, at school. So I can I can just see my son saying that his brand new iPhone X uh, was uh, certainly finessed at lunch by uh, by a complete stranger yeah. uh, while he was talking to a friend.
0: Very nice job. Well done. I will say that for me, I got uh, I moved in the last year and I submitted a change of address. The government, the state, sent a piece of mail saying my car registration is ready to be renewed but they sent it to the wrong address then they sent a second notice and the post office then told the state hey uh they've changed addresses so I get my third and final notice and I say hey uh I have late fees on this and they say yeah there's nothing we can do I was like yeah but I would have paid it had I known (laughs) but you sent two pieces of mail not to me to other places and I did everything else right and they said there's nothing we can do so you know what the state of California finessed $147 <laughs> from my wallet, and I'm still mad about it.
1: I was waiting for you to say that the prior addressee actually <laughs> paid your registration for oh you. Would that God, have been that a nice
0: gift? That would And that would have been yes. a really positive way to end this. No, I am just lighter, $147. Thank you, state of California. You finessed that money right. for me. So now I, now, I, now I feel really old with you. There we go. And that was the game. Where that, that's, again, where did my youth go? That's what the name of the game should be called. Okay, so our next game is called make a rubric for that. Now in education, you know this, but people who aren't in education might not know. We use rubrics. Rubrics are uh, a way in which we can grade something in a very concrete manner. There's nothing personal about it. There are categories that we're looking at and there are qualifications for each grade. You know, if it has X, then it meets this criteria and that is where the grade would be. So this is now an opportunity for you to make a rubric for anything you want. It could be for what's a really good breakfast. It could be for uh, make a rubric for the best action movie. Whatever you want it to be, what would you like to make a rubric for? We'll keep it in the uh, education world. Okay. And...
1: We've been doing a lot of work around grading. So how about actually creating a fair grading system for kids?
0: Wow. So a rubric on rubrics. Yeah, well, you know, <laughs> somewhat of, of a sword. Yeah. Just, this, is, this is Okay. We've gotten very meta. This would be the time to get your black lights out and just really start thinking about the process, man. This is great. All right. what? Yeah. So what categories are you looking at to make a rubric on grading? A rubric on grading. So one would be... Standards. Okay. So Ideally,
1: we have-, we have a category on standards that we actually grade according to what we teach. So what would an A look
0: like? Is that you...
1: So you actually would say that the assignments that are in my gradebook, I've connected to what I'm actually teaching. Mm. And therefore, if it doesn't connect, it probably shouldn't be in your gradebook. Yeah, that might be a good way of kind of evaluating that this should be there. And maybe the bringing in the Kleenex box
0: maybe shouldn't be in the grade book. Oh, God, people give grades for that? Extra credit. Oh, oh, I see. Extra credit. Yeah, that's fair. So Uh, so you're eliminating uh, anything from the grade book, even if it's extra credit. Well, you can still do
1: extra credit if it's connected to the content. If it's as long as that's something. So there's something that right. This is I
0: can connect this back to.
1: This exemplifies some kind of learning around what I'm teaching. Okay, great. Okay, so that'd be the first thing. Uh, The second would be looking at process. So how do we enter grades and how do we replace grades? So meaning that you have a means by which you can take an assignment and let it override other assignments so if a student has demonstrated that they now understand something all those prior assignments that went in should disappear wow students can now say that they've earned the a and all those other fdcs that Mm -hmm. maybe were earlier measurements of the understanding should disappear they shouldn't be averaged
0: should disappear okay so it's it's really it's showing growth and standards-based learning and it's, what, it's it's the what have you done for me lately method. Is yeah, it's saying out.
1: that it's, my system is flexible enough to let certain assignments override others mm. because I'm clear about what it is I'm trying to assess and students are
0: now demonstrating understanding of that. They should earn what they know. Okay, so you have one category of standards. The other category is just sort of the reflective nature of grades? Yeah. Okay.
1: And then I guess the third one would be I'm going to tie it to formative assessment. Okay. So I think back to my early childhood years that my elementary school gave no grades
0: at all. Hmm. It was all written feedback. So how did I would say how did parents get validated for the kind of parenting? They so did doing?
1: you as a student got a, a, a basically a written sort of uh, report card mm-hmm. of here's how your child's doing in reading. Here's how they're doing in writing. Here's how they're doing in math. Mm. And the teacher would just communicate that in as the report card. Hmm. So I guess when you think about grading is think about what are the words that would actually t- help a parent understand what this grade means. What this grade means. Hmm. And if you can put those into words and help students own that so that they could say, Here's what the A means to me in this that I can do the following that it exemplifies my, this understanding. Yeah. Uh, that would be pretty exciting for kids to be able to ex- to say my grade exemplifies this.
0: Yeah. So I guess then then that would come with its own sort of set of rules though, right Because then you'd have to one uh, have categories for both uh, behavior. And like non-academic stuff, right? Because let's say you have a kid who just gets the material, understands it, gets 100% on the test but hasn't done a single assignment. Right. And you say, well, they've demonstrated that they get this concept. They are just not doing any of the work, though, or whatever it is, um, or they are distracting others or anything like that. And then the other side of it, because I could just hear all of my teacher friends go, with 150-something. Well, the, here's the thing is that it's not
1: necessarily the teacher writing it out. It's the student owning it. So what would it look like if you actually had your student explain what the A means oh, to their parents and that they can do so in a way that's meaningful around what does it exemplify? Is it just the, the fact that I passed all my tests? I see. And that's that's why I earned the A. Or is it the fact that I can actually say that my understanding of a, being a writer has now improved so I understand how to construct my writing in a meaningful way. I understand transitions between paragraphs as they build. I understand how to engage my my reader through Mm -hmm. my writing, through the use of the following craft strategies. Mm -hmm. Something like that. that, So So the grade represents something to the student, and it's going to look different for each student.
0: Right. So we have a category of standards, the reflective nature of grades, and I guess what you're saying is students being able to communicate effectively how and what they've learned and understood. Right. Yeah. And that's guess, really important because yeah. kids will just get a grade and go, yeah, that's my grade, but yeah. I don't know what it means necessarily, or they can, they can tell you what they think they understand, but they don't know it exactly because the grade doesn't necessarily right. communicate that.
1: And them. then the final would be, think of some of the earlier practices that we had in grading and think holistically around your students. Mm. Just because the computer spits out an 89.9 and you're going to give the kid a B because of it. Think I about mean, really, yeah. is this a, is this an A student that exemplifies superior work right. in,
0: in the content that you're teaching? Leave the number behind. Right. Think well, about the student. I'm going through puberty all day so. today. Ah. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, that's, I mean, that's a really, I love that aspect. Just, you know, there's this ex- example that I always give teachers when I talk about grading and how inequitable grading systems can be where I I tell people I say I will give you right now I will give you $200 if you can tell me without using numbers exactly the difference between a B minus and a B student or a B minus and a B plus student like tell me exactly what make a rubric what is the line of demarcation that says oh, this is B minus work versus B work right? without using any numbers. Oh, the percentage. No, 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 no. Tell me exactly yeah. what that means. Right. Which is like it's impossible.
1: Right. And the 90.1 to the 89.9, really? Uh, yeah. What's the difference between those two kids? Yeah, yeah.
0: And one's a success and the other one isn't, right? right? Like, come <laughs> on. Like, ridiculous. Yeah. Um, that's really good. Okay. So yeah. we're going to change education now. <laughs> we're going to write this all down. We're going to submit this to Betsy DeVos. <laughs> no, please.
1: <laughs> it's gonna get lost. It's gonna get lost, and
0: we'll, but we'll have this, you know, as like a recording, a time capsule for after, you know, the world ends. There people say, "Ah, oh, people had it figured out. It was right. great. Right, it was good. Cool. Thanks." <phone rings> All right. So sadly, we are now at the end of our time. I can't take up any more of your day. As much as I'm having a good time keeping you from doing the important work you have to do. <laughs> At the end of every episode, I ask the guests to give an extra credit assignment. It can be anything. Uh, you want the Pod Class audience to check out this book, or watch this new TV show that you're really into, or this try this new type of food. Uh, again, apply to the Peace Corps. <laughs> whatever, whatever it is, uh, you want them to do. Although, admittedly, the Peace Corps thing, as you said, might take them. More than, a little bit longer, yeah. Yeah, but then between this week right, and next Turn week in into your application now, yeah, but yeah, yeah. be between expected to wait and next week a year. Show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, what is one thing you would like the podcast audience to do between now and the next show? Good question.
1: Well, uh, in the realm of education, um, if you've never read Kelly Gallagher's work, he's a teacher in Anaheim. Um, he's got a great book called Read-Aside. goes back a number of years, but he really captures really what it means to be a, a powerful English teacher, so... Uh, Be my recommendation to uh, a fellow uh, English teacher. Okay. So if you haven't read his book, and then on a lighthearted note, uh, if you haven't watched The Americans, it's Uh, finally available on uh, Prime that you can download and watch. Definitely worth watching.
0: That, the series finale, that's up there on the best series finales I've ever seen. I thought about that episode for like two to three straight days afterwards. I mean, I'm not going to spoil any of it. I want people to watch it. It's a great show. The last season and a half, I mean, you could tell they were just sort of uh, stalling to get to the end. But, man, when they got to the end, holy moly. Yeah, but if you haven't seen the first couple of years, get hooked on it. Oh, my gosh. It's it's fantastic. and yeah, it's but also it's been
1: caught in this weird limbo because that was a series that wasn't available for streaming for a long time. Yeah. So if you missed the start, you were like, well, do I start season two? Do I start season three? Knowing I've already missed all this
0: and stuff. it's oddly so. prescient, given that it's about uh, Russians. Yes, it's very t- apropos. <laughs> <coming into America laughs> to today's world. And affecting the government and all that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Oh, that's a bummer of a <laughs> ending. <laughs> okay, so uh, watch The Americans. Watch The Americans. And if you, you're going to get into it, but if you're starting to feel a little bit down because you're like, wow, this is," they, they saw the writing on the wall for where the country was going, go back, pick up a book called Read Aside. Read Aside. Uh,
1: read Aside. Is, just, his title is based on homicide, the death of reading in this case. Read aside. So <laughs> I do
0: say warm your heart, but oh, that sounds <laughs> no, really his, his
1: whole point is to say we've killed reading with some of our practices mm-hmm. in education. Let's bring back some of that love of reading, that really delving into sure. deep understanding of text. Um, does that look like? It's, it's an earlier text as kind of a precursor to some of the comic Core sort of transition work, but it's, it's, he's a, a teacher doing the work and living it. And he just has a great writing style.
0: Awesome. So there is your extra credit assignment and, uh, yeah, thanks for coming and doing this. I really appreciate it. Thanks for getting up your day. You're welcome. Okay. That is our show. Thanks again to my very special guest, Dr. Chris Lund, and thank you, my pod classmates for listening. If you wouldn't mind, please go right to the podcast homepage on whatever platform you get the show and leave a 5-star rating. In fact, don't just leave a 5-star rating, feel free to write a dissertation on why you love the show so much, because frankly, the more ratings my show has and the more reviews people write, the easier it will be for people to find and enjoy. Also, don't forget to come back next week for my mini-pod show, and remember, If you want your listener questions to be answered on the show, don't forget to submit them to me through social media under the username at teachmemrwest or via email at podclasspod, that's podclasspod, at gmail.com. That's all for this week. Congrats to the New England Patriots and all of the New England Patriot fans. We did it. Six out of nine out of 17 years. I don't care if I lose all of my listeners. I'm still celebrating that victory, even if it was the worst Super Bowl in the history of Super Bowls. That's all for this week. Podcast dismissed.